0: This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for checking out Health Yeah, and welcome to our first episode. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because each week you'll be able to check back in for another timely topic that will no doubt affect the health and wellness of you or someone you care about. I'm Monica Robbins and I've been covering all things relating to health, wellness, and medical news in Cleveland, Ohio since 1998. Recently, I had the rare opportunity to get the CEOs of our biggest healthcare institutions together to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, the general future of healthcare, what breakthroughs or advances we can expect to see in the future, and of course, job creation. Included in this discussion is Dr. Tom Maholovich, president and CEO of Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Cliff McGarrian, President and CEO of University Hospitals, and Dr. Akram Boutros, President and CEO of MetroHealth. Dr. Mahalovich, I want to start with you. It's been a year since uh, the COVID-19 pandemic began. From your perspective, can you describe the lasting changes in healthcare, both good and bad, and what we all have learned?
1: Well, let's just start with the good changes in healthcare care. Uh, Probably the, the most profound change in healthcare is uh, very many healthcare organizations, just like ours here in Cleveland, are working much closer together, much closer together to the benefit of the communities and the patients we serve. Another big positive change in healthcare is that uh, the acceleration of new knowledge and uh, our ability to find cures for new disease has uh, sped up immensely. So uh, that's the, that's the third change, and, and, and the second change, and a third positive thing is that I think we are now having a really strong realization around the world that in order for our, to keep ourselves healthy individually, that our communities have to be healthy, that every person in in our our communities uh, uh, has to be healthy as well. So that importance of community health is really what comes what comes to mind. No, what is, what is, uh, what are, so to say, the bad experiences during a COVID pandemic? I think it's just a humbling understanding and realization that the new onset of infectious disease can paralyze the life in an entire globe. Uh, and uh, that is really what is very, very sobering. Uh, it underscores the importance. Of uh, the of our joint effort to combat new pandemics for the benefits uh, for for the benefit of the humanity. So I I think if I were to summarize it
2: in few sentences. That is what I would say.
0: Dr. McGarry what do you think.
2: You know, I think I agree with everything uh, Tom said, and so I won't focus on those, but I'll again I like to focus on silver linings Monica things that are um, positive offshoots of this of this difficult event. And I think the first thing is, again, a spirit of collaboration that has emerged, I think probably more in Cleveland than any other city that I'm aware of with regards to major healthcare organizations working together. And that's amongst uh, the three of us today and even more of our colleagues, everything related to testing, vaccination, um, and uh, restarting the, the healthcare economy. I think the other thing is that we, as a a healthcare uh, organization, all of us need to rethink our supply chains to make sure that we're not beholden uh, to uh, supplies that originate from areas that we can't predict the the delivery. Um, And then, you know, the 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 acceptance now greater that was than the past with regards to virtual health and wearable devices emerging to be a bigger piece and part of our healthcare economy. I think is a positive. Um, and then as we move from inpatient activities that were somewhat, if you will, curtailed to ambulatory and now even home, we are going to see over time as a result of this more uh, facility and acceptance of home health and delivery of health in a uh, lower cost environment in, in the home health arena.
0: Dr. Boutros, what do you think? How has MetroHealth been impacted by this pandemic and what's changed?
3: Uh, helped us really accelerate some of our programs our Institute of Hope program, which is uh, focused on social determinants of health, it made us uh, uh, understand that it is now pivotal uh, for people who are in different um, situations, be either socioeconomic, environmental, and, and other situations, that they need more support than other folks. And we were able to deliver that personalized support to each one of them to make sure that they they received the best care possible. I, th- I think one of the first things that we did that uh, really bared fruit here is putting the uh, uh, COVID uh, hotline, free hotline. I think by, by understanding that we, by educating the community, by removing barriers from people who are were afraid, uh, people who may have had symptoms, we actually help the entire community uh, do better. So it, it's typically not the place of healthcare systems to do that, but I think we've learned that we're going to have to step outside of the medical care structure that we currently uh, are, are focused on and focus much more holistically in, in healthcare. Uh, one of the things that I think we need to, it, it, that it laid bare is the digital divide. Right, that uh, that it has in this city. So we now now we all know its consequences, and we all have to uh, address it.
0: Well, something else that uh, Dr. Mahalovich you you alluded to, you know, telehealth. It was it was an emerging technology, but now it has become standard. And to your point, Dr. Buchros, how do we how do we fix that? How do we make sure that if this is going to be standard of care moving forward, that we make sure everyone has access.
3: I mean, certainly making sure the digital divide, but one of the largest issues that we had, it was the the non-acceptance of telehealth by the providers themselves. We we thought it was going to be substandard care. And, And when we were forced to use it, we saw some of the benefits of it. Uh, the uh, of, of telehealth so i think i think overall uh, 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 tom and Kiff can can address this but we are all committed to uh, working together to make sure that people have ready access uh, to telehealth services and now uh, now physicians and and nurse practitioners or other folks accept it as well
0: Dr. Mahalovich, you want to jump in on any of that point because I know you, you as well as Metro, are wiring the neighborhoods around the clinic.
1: Yes, we have uh, expanded uh, our presence in our neighborhoods by uh, allowing the broadband access to our neighborhoods from the roofs of uh, Cleveland Clinic's facilities, and we're very, very excited about it because as as uh, uh, Dr. Boutros uh, nicely said, in order for us to be able to obviously to provide telehealth, people have to have access to broadband and also access to digital devices. Uh, I would like to say that telehealth is going to be a really important way to provide care. It is going to, not going to be the only way to provide care. Uh, it is not going to completely replace the in-person care that we uh, provide, yet we are very, very excited about it. Currently, we're providing approximately Twenty percent, uh, up to uh, between ten to twenty percent of our visits, uh, using uh, virtual virtual media.
0: Dr. McGarrian, what's your biggest concern post-pandemic? I know you, uh, University Hospitals, was among the first to start the long-hauler clinic. But what are you most concerned about post-pandemic?
2: Well, I think going back to your earlier point, just to touch on it, I think that. The digital divide, as Akram alluded to, is a very big deal. And um, you know we're participating with PCs with people to get uh, PCs out uh, th- to the, the folks in the various neighborhoods that historically have not had access. So certainly we want the broadband there, but they got to have a device. And that's why that's where we're spending our time. But as it relates to your fundamental question of the long-term concerns, I think my biggest right now is the notion of folks who have postponed health care for fear of getting COVID and, you know, we've worked at very, very hard at UH and I know my colleagues have well as well to educate the community to make sure that the ultimate risks in our opinion of delaying care uh, certainly outweigh the risks of coming into an organization like all of our organizations that are committed to safety um, and social distancing, masking, washing hands, et cetera we are seeing folks come in with more advanced disease, whether it be heart disease, complications of cerebrovascular disease, or certainly cancer. And so we we want to somehow either super reassure folks that it is important to keep their their yearly visits with their doctors. and certainly important to come in when they feel something is wrong. We're reconfiguring our physician offices, which we've done to make it abundantly clear that there's social distancing, remote notification while you wait in your cars, so there's no waiting rooms, virtual options, Um, and uh, and obviously the work around screening. So that is my and our fundamental concern right now. Obviously there's others, there's significant downward pressure on margins, which is causing all of us, I'm sure, to look at more efficient ways of delivering the totality of what we do. And we do have some workforce challenges, which have always remained with regards to nursing and in some um, other aspects of healthcare delivery. Uh, And so we want to make sure that those pipelines remain robust as we all are working together with our our, our colleges and the universities to make sure that we participate in that stream of uh, folks being educated and hopefully joining our workforce
0: Dr Mahalovich, I know that was a big concern of yours about people delaying care and and it was happening you know in the beginning of the pandemic but is it still happening today
1: Unfortunately it is still happening today Our most recent survey indicates that only a half of our patients who experience heart-related symptoms, so the symptoms related to heart disease, are actually seeking care at the right time. So this is clearly an enormous risk. And another risk category that all of us are worrying about is the deferral of care for patients uh, when it comes to cancer screening. Mammographies, colonoscopies are simply not being done. People are deferring those uh, exams and what really worries us that uh, we may be essentially eliminating the best way to treat those patients effectively and the best way to treat cancer is through early diagnosis. So it is really, really important for all of, your, uh, all of the people who are watching and listening to this broadcast to make sure that they resume their, or, their ordinary care. Hospitals are safe. They should be making sure that they take good care of their health.
0: Dr. Boutros, uh Metro just started its long hauler clinic, and I know Cleveland Clinic is doing one as well. Um, what are you most concerned about? What it may reveal down the road? You know, these can we've heard so much about the lung, the lung damage, and the heart damage, um, and even even cognitive damage from COVID. Are you concerned about what may? Come out of these long hauler clinics at
3: all? Well, uh, clearly, anybody with uh, chronic disease, uh, whether it's diabetes, Lyme's disease, there are some some extraordinary uh, sequelae that may may uh, present themselves. I, I guess, Mark, I would like to touch on something different than what my colleagues uh, talked about, and, and I'm I'm afraid about um, not the people who got sick, but the uh, social isolation that has. Uh, we've had to endure for over a year today and what the impact on our children, on our, our elderly, uh, you know, most people didn't think about this. I certainly didn't. But the death rate from Alzheimer's disease is increasing, uh, was has significantly increased. And that's a result of people not being able to see their loved ones, not being able to have any mental stimulation uh, uh, during this uh, past year. So I'm really afraid for the generation that now has had uh, uh, this year stolen from them, and the continued uh, uh, lack, uh, the continued isolation for our elderly. So, so I think we're going to see a decade of behavioral health impact of of uh, uh, this pandemic.
0: What do we do? How do we address that?
3: Well, certainly one of the things uh, uh, that we need to do is to continue to collaborate. I know uh, uh, Dr. Mahalovic will probably talk about the new uh, program that he put together for uh, virus uh, detection treatment and, and the investments they made. We need to be able to do a much better job than locking down the entire world and in, in, in caring for, for uh, new pandemics. We need to do a much better job in, in uh, pinpointing who the most vulnerable populations are, protect, uh, focusing on them, protecting them, and letting the rest of the, the world continue. Um, I, I'm just, uh, honestly, that is, that is concerning me that we're going to be seeing impact of this pandemic for decades to come, including uh, uh, the lack of immunization of children that's happened here.
0: Dr. Mahalovich, on, on that point, are we winning the fight against this virus? Are we even close?
1: We are. We're getting closer and closer. I believe that we are winning a fight against the virus. What is very, very encouraging that we are getting many new vaccines that are currently being approved. And all of them are really effective. And obviously, the mass vaccination is a challenge this is an unprecedented challenge uh, the uh, uh, we have never done that not at the scale and at the speed that is required but the progress is real and i am very optimistic uh, about the uh, vaccination effort in our country and i do believe that continuing of uh, continuation of public health care measures meaning mask wearing social distancing hand washing everything that we've been preaching so to say for a really long time Uh, together with the mass vaccination effort, is going to get us to the point where we will have uh, the resumption of normal life activities. And I do certainly believe and hope it's not going to be in a distant future.
0: Is it important to remind people though, because I've been saying this on the news quite a bit, that that vaccine is not a free pass. While it prevents severe disease, it's not getting rid of everything else. I, I know I'm, I'm Debbie Downer on that, but is there anything else we can tell people?
2: You know, my, my overall feeling, and I, and I share uh, Tom's feeling, this was obviously a very difficult time, but I think looking at the bright side, which we need to, and, and, uh, and that helps always, we have a lot to celebrate. The notion of creating a viable vaccine within seven months of a detection of a, of a new strain of a virus is absolutely incredible. And the fact that there's not one, but literally handfuls of vaccines rolling out regularly, I think is a lot of, and should give a lot of feeling that we are going to get our arms around this. But I, I think that your question is a good one. Uh, and that is, I don't think we should be looking for a day that we eradicate COVID. I think it will be part, but we will push it down in terms of the level of severity that it has in, in, in the human, uh, in, in humanity by a combination of both uh, very clever vaccines that are being developed, many of which we're trialing here at UH, but also the uh, bevy of therapeutics. So my hope is, Monica, that, you know, we always have had the flu and flu, make no mistake, does damage to thousands of people, hundreds, tens of thousands a year. But we've pushed it down in terms of a level of, if you will, fear, because we certainly take our flu shots, many of us who accept vaccines, and we also have therapeutics like Tamiflu. So I believe that we are gonna get to the point relatively soon this year, where we'll have a combination of both those approaches. And I think the point that, that was made earlier by both Ackerman and Tom, is that maybe the notion of safe distancing, masking, and universal precautions will become a bigger part of our day-to-day lives. Um, and I think those things will get us past this, where it becomes somewhat of something that's in the back of our minds, as opposed to the front of our minds every day.
3: What's one of the silver lining of this? Uh, well. Uh, clearly uh, the, uh, washing hands, watching our distances and wearing masks um, has reduced uh, influenza uh, transmission this year so far by 99% at Metro health. So yeah. so I've never heard of anything like this in my entire uh, career, uh, this uh, sharper decline for, for our transmittable disease. So we clearly are learning habits that are going to be beneficial to us in the future.
0: One of the things I'm uh, you know I'm concerned about is the fact the, the variants that are coming out. And also, um, you know we've had a number of warning signs over the years from other, maybe not global pandemics, but other other uh, epidemics, including you know, swine flu. We had SARS, we had MERS. Is there any concern that Covid could be a dress rehearsal for something bigger?
1: But there is a true concern that COVID uh, may be a dress rehearsal for something bigger, and there are two components that are uh, uh, really important contributing components of our age. One is the uh, global warming, and the second one is the globalization, and it's global travel. We're more connected than we've ever been, with an exception of this past year, but global warming is a real issue. Uh, I think that uh, global warming, which is uh, melting, the parts of the uh, parts of the of the globe and the surface, in particular, in the northern and the southern hemisphere, the tips of the northern and southern hemisphere uh, are going to uncover uh, viruses that were frozen in in in, in ice for uh, thousands of years, and we've never been exposed to them uh, in the past. So yes, new pandemics uh, are, are possible. Uh, actually, they are probably going to become a part of our reality.
0: How are you all planning for that? Because we've done pandemic planning, but it seemed that we we sort of missed a few things here and there, communication being one of them. So now that you've had a year under your belt, how are each of your institutions planning for what may come next? Or how do we continue dealing with this one and, and the variants that are emerging? Dr. McGarrian, I'll start with you.
2: Well, you know, the first thing we're doing, obviously, is being able to be on the forefront of detecting variants. And, um, you know, we were one of the leads in detecting the UK variant here at our, our lab. So having the infrastructure so that we are very uh, able to be able to do viral detection and uh, be able to do the uh, work and necessary in identifying variants and even new virus. I think second, uh, what we have to do is we have to get better at, I think, being able to respond to this dress rehearsal, if it is a dress rehearsal, it probably is. There will be more viruses. It's foolish for me to think that there won't be in the years to come as there's been many in the past. And so what we have to have is ready out of the box, the ability to detect, the the, the ability to sequester, the ability that to then Um, work with our colleagues in in, uh, the pharmaceutical world to create vaccines, and then the ability to deliver those vaccines. And that is ultimately what we will do. I am not at all um, uh, concerned that, that based on how we've responded, you know, in the last seven to eight months, and how we are now going to cut our teeth on getting distribution down as it relates to vaccines, which is something that we obviously are all working on as a nation. Uh, I have no doubt when that is corrected that we will have the infrastructure and the armamentarium to respond fairly rapidly with every new entrance into into the uh, viral market, if you call it.
3: Knowledge transfer and and sharing of knowledge. I think what we've all uh, learned is that we can be competitive and having the best programs around, but we need to be collaborative for the uh, good of the community. And we not only have learned that in Cleveland, I think we've learned it as an industry and across industry so that, that no one is going to win this fight if we keep hoarding knowledge. So I think that's, that's where you're going to see an, acceler- an acceleration of, uh, of response. And, and as far as I'm concerned, as far as vaccinations is I know our three organizations and almost every health system that I've spoken to can double or triple and quadruple its vaccinations today if there's just the vaccine was available. And I think we could, uh, uh, you know, make a huge impact that the quicker that people are vaccinated, the less the chance the virus has to spread from one person to the next.
0: Um, one of the things, you know, when we went to 1B um Dr. Mahalovic, I remember. I think you put out a memo that you know the healthcare workers who, you know, weren't on the front lines had to then wait for their vaccine. Are you at all concerned about any healthcare workers who are hesitant or maybe just plain refusing to get the vaccine as we move forward?
1: We are actually not seeing uh, uh, many of our caregivers refusing vaccines. Uh, there is a variable acceptance to the vaccine, but it is getting better and better. Uh, I think the real issue right now is simply a vaccine availability. And it is also really important to, to know that uh, our large and complex healthcare organization that we are responsible in leading obviously have uh, uh, a large proportion of our providers, the largest that are in the direct patient care area. Some of them are not in a direct patient care area, but they are also very important. They're important because we cannot function without them. You know, if, uh, let's say, uh, our information technology service uh, uh, gets sick and we cannot maintain our computers and electronic medical records, we cannot take care of our patients. So, uh, it is really important to, uh, to underscore that there is any, that the broader family of caregivers is what we need in order to be able we need them healthy. We need them in their workplaces in order to be able to care for our patients.
0: You all touched on this um, about the the speed of information. You know, this obviously I, I hate to the word is trite now and cliche, but it, it is an unprecedented time that we're living in. How how will that translate? Because all three of your institutions are are paramount in getting new therapies to market as well. So how how is this going to translate with the FDA offering emergency use authorization to you know so quickly to some of these vaccines? Do you see that changing in you know other diseases that we're facing right now, the ALS, the cancers, those types of things? Will we see faster therapies coming to market because of COVID?
3: I certainly believe so. I. I, I it, just like we had some significant acceptance of, of telemedicine uh, uh, among the, the professionals. I think you're gonna see these regulatory agencies look at themselves and say, can we do something uh, different? You also see uh, technologies that we have been dreaming about which is, can you treat cancer by uh, uh, using a viral um, uh, um, uh, messenger, to create antibodies, and, and you'll see that also accelerate. So there will be long-term positive impacts here, both on regulation, I, I, I believe, on the speed of response, and also and in, in, in just advancement of medicine as a, as a result of this, um, because I, I, just, I just don't believe that um, the bureaucracy that we had to go through, including um receiving ppe and and and, and uh, distributing vaccines and all of that is going to be acceptable to the world
2: you know some of the bureaucracy and sluggishness if you will monica um certainly may exist in the agencies that ultimately are the final arbiters but some of it is our ourselves uh, to blame all of us have our irb institutional review boards that are the gatekeepers of launching even the beginnings of research. And I saw, to answer your question, during this event, even our own architecture and infrastructure speed up. So for example, uh, during the early days of March, Gilead approached us, Gilead Pharmaceuticals, to be site 001 for the remdesivir trial, which then went on all over the world. And typically, and I'm, I'm not, typically, let me just say it takes a while for our IRB to move through that sort of examination. Well, they were able to find it within themselves to logarithmically increase the speed of getting IRB approval through our internal IRB. And now that is the standard of the day. In other words, we've reached a new, if you will, speed. Now, without any compromise of uh, checking things and making sure everything's safe. But I think throughout this event, one of the potential silver linings will be the understanding that uh, there really is no room for, for um, uh, taking too much time, and, and hopefully that will extend through not only the EUAs for the vaccines, but then the therapeutics then bleed over to other important drugs that can
0: save lives. I think this is going to be something that the public is going to demand as well, if they've, if they've seen it done for a pandemic, they'll expect it for other things. Um, Dr. Boutros, the pandemic and racial unrest put a spotlight on health disparities across the nation and of course here in our communities. So how are your systems pivoting attention to address this issue? And what is that timeline for change?
3: You know, I, I, I tell you, I could not be more delighted that uh, to say, and and again, my colleagues can speak for themselves, but I know that both Cliff and Tom have, have taken a very strong stance on making sure that we close uh, healthcare disparity gaps. Uh, we, the, I see a lot of uh, new uh, renewed energy and not only to doing project type work, but making this a lasting change in the, in the uh, healthcare system. And as, as Tom said, we're recognizing that it's not just medical care that matters, there are so many social determinants of health that we need to address for, for a lot of folks. And that's what the community needs from us and that's what we're going to, uh, to deliver. So for me, I'm very optimistic that we will uh, uh, have a, a great impact on, on uh, racial dis- disparities. I also think it also highlighted uh, other things that we needed to do, which is, for example, employment. We need to focus on making sure that we, our employees represent the community because they're much more trusted as such. And and I think Tom probably can tell you about um, the Cleveland Clinic signed uh, the um, uh, to create a, a million jobs for Black Americans uh, in, over the next 10 years. And I know um, Cliff has had a great deal of focus on also having diverse uh, hiring of um, uh, clinicians and staff. So this is the work we need to do together and individually and collectively to be able to make change.
0: Dr. Mahalovich, what are the, some of the highlights you're most proud of? Because I remember when you first took over, you took a walk down Cedar and checked out the neighborhood nearby. And, and that when we first met, that was one of the first things you talked about is getting your neighborhood healthy.
1: Well, we certainly uh, wanted to keep our neighborhood healthy, and we, we, have. we have, we kept it very, very healthy. And we have just recently uh, reviewed the acceptance rate for vaccine in our immediate neighborhoods, and it was way above average. Actually, it was a very, very uh, uh, just an uplifting uh, 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 statistics that uh, our neighborhoods are actually willing to get na- uh, vaccinated and willing to keep themself, themselves healthy. Uh, What I'm really excited about as this uh, pandemic continues to uh, roll through its course is a few new initiatives uh, that uh, Akram alluded to that I believe are going to put Cleveland and Northeast Ohio in a center for the fight against this pandemic and any other future pandemic. Uh, We together, uh, three of our institutions, as well as Case Western Reserve University and Cleveland State University jointly, have been able to attract the largest investments for job creation in the Northeast Ohio in its history, and it is in healthcare. So as a part of our joint effort, we are going to create a nucleus for new discoveries in healthcare. They're going to put us in a substantially better position to fight off future pandemics. Cleveland Clinic is investing, together with the state of Ohio, $500 million into the new Center for Global and Emerging Pathogens, that will do exactly everything that we're hoping that some center like that would do. we we'll discover new viruses faster. we we'll deliver the new treatments and vaccines faster. And then, together, we all will distribute them into our communities at a faster pace. And uh, that will also not only protect all of us from future pandemics, but also will create new jobs. We certainly strive to create 8,500 new jobs in the North, Northeast Ohio. And very many of them are going to be exactly the communities that just briefly touched upon. And we're very passionate about it because our healthcare providers need to be a part of the community and uh, we're very excited about the future.
0: So you, obviously you're alluding also to the uh, innovation corridor. And uh, Dr. McGarrian, your thoughts your thoughts on that. Where do you see university hospitals? You being one of the newer CEOs now taking over your vision for what is going to happen in the next 10 years.
2: Well, you know, again, there is, I hope you can tell from the spirit of our collaboration and our banter that, that there is a tremendous amount of uh, trust and desire for our, these three community assets to work very closely together. And uh, uh, before I answer your question, I will say, going back to uh, uh, what Ockram was talking about, clearly the notion of health disparities, social determinants of health, and issues related even the disparate effect of COVID on the uh, communities uh, in our in our inner cities have caused all of us to weave together pieces and parts to become a fra- fabric of dealing with this problem. UH has worked hard on building the Otis Moss Center, in the Fairfax neighborhood of investing uh, 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 significantly in the UH Center for Women and Children specifically to address issues related to uh, infant mortality and, and, and maternal mortality and first year of life and we've obviously working very hard to deal with the lead issues. Now that concept of in each of these three organizations are doing just as important and and significant work. The beauty is it's being woven together into something that helps the community. Now, as it relates to the innovation district, each of us have significant uh, assets to bring to bear. Um, And if you detail those assets, um, they are gonna be woven together similarly like this as it relates to job creation. And UH is particularly interested in uh, work around uh, leading research and product innovation as it relates to global health and emerging infections, if you will, collaborating with the with the great work that CCF is doing. Smart health product innovation, kind of what we did during the pandemic. We worked with this company called Massimo to deliver and and, and help get uh, now proved throughout the world, the whole monitoring system. And we have more work that we're doing. And how do we deliver these smart devices uh, to the community? Can we then Uh, build jobs around those, leveraging our Harrington Discovery Institute, which is uh, very active in drug discovery as it relates particularly to rare and orphan diseases. But now during COVID, close to 150 different clinical trials on therapeutics around the world, partnering with Oxford University and the Technion in Israel, and we will bring those activities to be part of the, the innovation district, working with our good friends, our colleagues and uh, you know we've we've committed also uh, quite a bit to this to this effort which not only we think is going to deliver a significant amount of new jobs as it relates to research specifically research jobs and we think working with Cleveland state to help train up the folks who need to be in these positions but we will also deliver significant increases in already the research portfolio the dollars that flow into cleveland as it relates to research in these in these areas so we're just very pleased to work with Ackerman, Tom, and Harlan, and Scott Cowan from CWRU uh, in, in, in doing exactly what we've done as it relates to uh, dealing with disparities in health, but now dealing with job creation, research infrastructure. So I, I'm very confident that we will continue this great work together over the next 10 years of this project.
0: Let's take a look 10 years ahead. Um, if job creation is, you know, one of the priorities for all of your institutions, where do you see us? You know, many people already consider the Cleveland, greater Cleveland area, the uh, medical Mecca. Um, is it going to get bigger? And and do you think that the pandemic is going to inspire more young people to go into healthcare?
1: I would say that the answer to that is yes and yes. Yes, I do believe that uh, Uh, our organizations will grow. I am absolutely convinced that we are going to create a greater impact, not only in our immediate communities through job creation, but also, uh, I believe, a global impact. This is an unprecedented collaboration. Uh, This is an unprecedented collaboration by the entire community, uh, our, our healthcare community here in Northeast Ohio. And I know that when we work together, we can really, really bring the impact to the world that we all desire to, to do. So I'm very optimistic.
2: I think an early um, perhaps um, harbinger of, of the interest in healthcare is seen now in applications to medical schools. In the, one, in the year since COVID, they have dr- dr- gone up dramatically, dramatically. In some schools, close to 50% increase in applicants. And uh, I'm starting to talk to my nursing school colleagues, we're seeing the same thing. So although we've dealt with a relative paucity of nursing and allied health professionals, potentially another silver lining uh, of this may be a renewed interest in this field uh, and getting more folks uh, involved in it.
3: There's nothing more noble than uh, caring for for someone. Uh, And really the the frontline staff who that provide not only medical care but comfort and healing uh, to 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 the individuals and their family. They, they, honestly, it's, it's just one of the most gratifying uh, uh, things that there is. And and regarding the future, uh, you know, we we try to attract uh, people here by the global mark having having uh, the, the latest equipment or um uh, Cleveland Clinic, uh, being the best in the world for cardiac care, uh, th- that you, you know, or, or the Cancer care center at, at university hospitals, those attract individuals, right? I think what we're working on right now is attracting industries. So so all of the things we're talking about is literally making um, uh, Cleveland a hub for innovation, for healthcare and technology. And, and by putting the power of these three, five institutions together, it is just an exponential opportunity before us. And if we don't do it, it will be our fault. If we do not reach greatness and making the uh, uh, Cleveland be the hub for everybody, wanting to come here to start a new company, uh, 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 investigate new uh, 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 therapeutics, Honestly, it will be our failure. It will not be anybody else's because it's right before us.
0: I want to step outside of the pandemic for a second. A year ago, before the pandemic, I wanted to ask you all to predict what the most important healthcare advancement and issue would be in the next decade. What do you think it is now that we have to deal with for the next decade? Dr. Boutros, you alluded earlier to mental health is going to be a huge primary concern. What else are is What else are the are the things that we're going to have to pay attention to, and at least in the next decade?
3: Well, I, I think the recognition that things like uh, adverse childhood experiences have uh, uh, set an impact, and of course, for young people, that, that it's very hard to uh, that gravitational pull uh, uh, towards towards illness is is very hard to deal with if you don't deal with uh, 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 adverse childhood experiences. The recognition that that we need to be uh, personalized medicine used to be about making sure that you get the exact medical treatment that you, you need. Personalized health, I think is where we're going to move to, which is going to look at all the other social issues that we need to help you overcome in order for you to remain healthy. So I think that's where you're going to see the evolution of from a medical, purely medical model or predominantly medical model to a, a healthcare
2: model.
0: Dr. McGarren, your thoughts?
2: I, 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 I usually always agree with Akra but I always usually have something else to add. I think the notion of detecting issues in childhood that will rear its head in later life is. Is the concept of, of prevention, in other words, understanding that there is a instigator there that may lead to a deleterious health outcome, and then treating it early. And I think that is my feeling. I, I think we're going to have to get our arms as a nation around the expanding uh, cost of healthcare as it relates to the GDP. We're approaching 20 percent. Uh, our uh, competitors in the G8s are looking at at nine to 11 percent. Um, now, there's a little bit of quibbling about how you keep track of that, but at the end of the day, there's no doubt all of us have to be part of the solution in terms of making, uh, creating the best value in healthcare. And my personal opinion is going to be enhancing, enhancing primary care so that we don't just go to the hospital when we're sick or the doctor when we're sick we get used to the notion of visiting our physicians, our primary care physicians, our pediatricians on a regular basis, so disorders can be detected at the earliest stage. And as, as, as Akram alluded to, precision medicine, uh, immunotherapy related to cancers are going to seize the day. And clearly the way to then lower the overall burden, increase the quality, lower the cost, efficiencies, is going to be enhancement of primary care and making sure that we get our arms around uh, that, that cultural transformation where people realize it, you don't just go when you're sick, you've got to go regularly. So that's that's my thoughts.
0: Dr. Miholovich, is that something that's being focused on in the medical school?
2: <laughs> well,
1: yeah, it certainly it certainly uh, is and I think the, the new the 21st century is certainly in my opinion going to be marked by a substantially greater, uh influence of technology, computational, and dig- digital technology in healthcare. Because that technology is going to allow us to access uh, our patients uh, in a more affordable and more effective way. It is going to allow us to uh, provide treatments that are going to be individualized and ultimately they are going to allow us to uh, really establish that continuity of care uh, that uh, Cliff just mentioned. Traditionally, in the 20th century, healthcare was uh, limited to episodes of care. People sought out medical care when they became ill. What we are learning very, very quickly is that uh, we really need to focus on uh, having a lifelong engagement between patients and healthcare providers. And technology is going to allow us to have that type of engagement, but is also going to allow us to have a much more personalized approach to an individual that is going to be tailored to their needs to their environments to their specific circumstances and that's why all of us are so excited about the future of healthcare
0: one of the main things i'm getting asked about is the difficulty for people to get a vaccine any uh, words of calming you can give people what they need to do how they you know your thoughts on the on the rollout and the governor's plan on distribution, is is that the correct way of doing it, or do you think things need to be changed?
3: The governor is doing the best job he could with the limited amount of vaccines uh, we have. There is no there is no right way to do this. This is you, you have to figure it out as you go along and you see where the highest risks are, and and, and do that. I can say to you, uh, you know, you want calming uh, words, uh, I would say is that you will be vaccinated before you know it. it, it it's, it's, I know it's going to seem like a long time uh, for the uh, new vaccines to come on board, but they are coming on board and we'll be utilizing them. And just have the confidences that when it's available, we will vaccinate you. Uh, the healthcare system is ready to do its part to
0: vaccination. Dr. Mihaljevic?
1: Well, we are certainly living in a time when the vaccines are coming in short supply. So uh, we have to realize that there are millions and millions of our fellow citizens who are still patiently waiting for a vaccine. So these are difficult times. But I would like to assure everyone that this too will pass and it will pass very quickly. New vaccines are coming up with a, with a speed and a pace that is unprecedented. And uh, let's just take a journey journey back in time. A year ago, we were struggling with testing for COVID. Right now, nobody worries whether they can be tested or not because tested, testing is available everywhere. I am absolutely convinced that within the next few months, we're going to have new vaccines and a sufficient supply of vaccines that uh, uh, that we will be able to vaccinate all of those in need.
0: Dr. McGarrian, are you thinking that... Uh... The COVID vaccine is going to be something that we're going to have to deal with, just like a flu vaccine each year.
2: I do, I do, and I think the pace of the variants that we're seeing emerge um, is such that it will probably be very much like the influenza virus, where every year we have a new um, sub, subspe- you know, a new variant, and that drives the uh, vaccine development, and uh, then that uh, is what we get as a shot every year. Um, and I absolutely believe that we probably will get to the point where we'll get, if you will, a cocktail um, theoretically every year, both the latest uh, COVID vaccine as well as the latest influenza vaccine. Um, and uh, I think it'll be part of our uh, part of our world. Uh, but I think it'll be a, a tamped down uh, to a level won't be, literally on the front pages every day because we'll get our arms around it, hopefully with better therapeutics. I think it is naive to think that a vaccine will allow complete uh, protection. We're aware, all of us, that whether the flu vaccine is 60% or 70% or 80% effective every year, we all have breakthroughs, but we've developed therapeutics to minimize the complications. And I think that's where we will uh, be living uh, in, in the years to come.
0: I want to just do one, uh, one final round robin, if you will, and, and let you all discuss any final thoughts you have that you'd like to pass along to our viewers. So Dr. Mahalovich, I'll start with you.
1: Well, I think this has certainly been, been a trying year, as we said, uh, but this has uh, uh, also been a year when we came, came together. I would like to say, although it was trying, we have really, really, uh, we witnessed a, a phenomenal, Uh, phenomenal success in finding and developing vaccine for a brand new illness, for illness that we never faced before in a record time. We're getting vaccinated. Uh, We are getting into the phase, I think, of pandemic uh, where we're going to see the number of those who are getting sicker and uh, declining, and I'm very optimistic.
0: Dr. Bouchos?
1: Well,
3: I I, I would say is that um, the th- even though this has had enormous impact on us individually and many of us have uh, lost loved ones to, uh, to uh, uh, COVID and to other diseases that were not uh, treated, I would say it has it also uh, been a reset for our nation and our, our community to figure out what's in front of us and to uh, uh, be laser focus on being better, uh, delivering faster results, greater results for our community, thinking beyond ourselves, beyond our organization. So I am, uh, you know, I think this will mark uh, in my career the tipping point where a collaboration overcome, uh, overtakes competition.
0: Dr. McGarren.
2: You know, many people, Monica, say that the, um, metal or the uh, the uh, fortitude of of a of a entity in this case we'll call it the cleveland community um, is measured not on how it performs during periods of tranquility uh, and uh, it, it's more measured during how it responds to significant stress and uncertainty and by almost every measure the way cleveland and northeast ohio quickly embraced masking how we Listen to our governor very, very quickly, how we collaborated as healthcare organizations to step up testing, how we collaborated and did not worry who's who, what's what. We all work together. I think that makes me so proud of Cleveland and the Cleveland community and certainly the healthcare community. Um, and as a result of that, I, I I think the dust settles. We should, as, as citizens here, feel very, very confident about the culture and our ability to work together and get things done. I am very proud and honored really to be part of this greater community.
0: Doctors, thank you so much for your time and thank you for your staffs as well. They have done amazing work in the past year. And uh, I, as speaking for a resident and one who uses all three of your systems, (laughs) Uh, I'm very, very grateful and appreciative of everything you all do. Thank you again, and hopefully we will chat again very soon. I know there's a lot of confusing health information out there, and there is no way in health you want to go to just any website. So at the end of each podcast, I want to give you some vetted websites you can turn to for info. All of our local hospital systems provide a ton of medical information on a variety of subjects, both in the news and what may impact you directly. Check out my.clevelandclinic.org, uhhospitals.org, and metrohealth.org. And follow me, at Monica Robbins, on Twitter and Instagram, and my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC, to stay tuned in on upcoming podcasts and health news. And check out our content on WKYC.com and the WKYC social media platforms, as well as the WKYC YouTube channel. Stay well, everyone, and have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios.